Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. Yes, so we're just going to go ahead and jump right into the episode today. Uh, who's on the docket? Well, today we are going to continue our conversation with Larry Imperiali, and he is going to give us more insight into his experience with Team Side Out. So enjoy. Okay, so there it is. So you're you're with Team Side Out now, and you guys continue as a co-op team for how many years? Oh gosh, at least through '92. I mean, we we I think uh, we were undefeated in the U.S. Opens for several years there. And Side Out, for those that know, was a, a boarding clothing company founded by Sinjin Smith, who was the, uh, a great uh, volleyball player. And Skippy had the connection through his brother, I believe, who knew Sinjin. And so that's what Side Out, where it came from. And, you know, we'd wear these bright fluorescent shorts that were baggier than anything and that type of thing. And uh, But we had different players every year. Uh, so that was 88 when we won the FPA Worlds in the U.S. Open uh I think Tommy couldn't come for some reason. So we ended up playing with JJ. So me, Skippy, and JJ played together and we won uh, the next US Open, I believe. Uh, then 89, uh, JJ didn't play and it was Skippy, Tommy, and me. And uh, we won that US Open. And then we won the 92 US Open. And our arch rivals during that time were Art of Disc. Okay. It was uh, Joel Rogers, Dave Schiller, and Rick Castilla amazing team, amazing choreography. A lot of those tournaments could have gone either way. They won more FPA Worlds a couple times there. We won the U.S. Opens. We also won FPA Worlds. So it was back and forth. Those two teams were like night and day, yin and yang, very different. Uh, Art of Disc was total lean into the choreography and the music was such a big partner and you guys definitely leaned more technical not that you didn't have choreography but it was just very different concepts both totally valid and like you say either one could take the day depending on how the play went yep 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 so it's interesting that you changed partners so much throughout the the years and team side out people were swapping in and out so did you find that you had to adjust the choreography a lot as people changed um, yeah, one funny story. So, uh, I'm trying to think of the tournament, but in, uh, uh, Fort Collins, us open, uh, maybe that was 92. And I get, I know my years are probably beating off here. Tommy Skippy and I were going to play and, uh, where's Tommy? Tommy didn't show up. You know, it's Monday, the tournament, we have to declare on Thursday or something. And we wanted to, I go, Skippy, Tommy's not here. We can't find him. No cell phones. And, you know, uh, what are we going to do? It's just me and you. Skippy goes, well, let's think about who we want to ask to play with us. And I'm like, I want to play with Scott Weaver. <laughs> that was my first response. Cause I, I just love playing with Scott. He was a counter player. He was fun and, you know, easy going. And, uh, and, but Skippy was much more analytical about things. And, uh, he goes, Larry, we're going to play with Pat Merritt. I'm like, Oh, really? Okay. Um, so here I am with two clock players dominant again, and I'm playing counter again, just like all with JJ and Tommy. So nothing different there. But then we we're going to play, and uh, uh, Skippy goes, away. So we had no choreography is the point. 
uh, other than what we made up that it was a couple of days. So we had a little bit, but I remember going out, it was at the semis, probably maybe the finals. And Pat goes, Larry, what are we going to play to? And I go, I don't know. Let's ask Skippy. And he goes, oh, we're going to play to Beautiful World by U2. It had just come out. So I guess we didn't have choreography. We had co-ops, but we didn't have choreography. And I go, oh, Pat, I think we're going to play to a Beautiful World. He goes, dude, I'm playing with Side Out. I'm playing with Team Side Out. we got to play to New Order. we got to play to New Order. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. I go, Skippy, he wants to play to New Order. And Skippy goes, okay, well, let's play to Perfect Kiss. So we, so we made Pat happy. And Pat, I think, that well, he certainly carried me. I don't remember how Skippy played, but Pat played great. And he was, you know, he was a young kid then. And uh, so that was an experience. So definitely uh, Side Out had many facets to it. You know, it's interesting. This is a story that probably not many people know. But during those years of Side Out, when there would be, oh, my God, we're looking for a third. I actually submitted my resume to the team captain and my resume got turned back. So just want you to know that. Whoa. I've uh, never heard that. Yeah. The yeah. rest of the story. There it is. Yeah. I wow. submitted my resume and said, can you maybe take a look at maybe including me? Well, I remember that conversation. It was like, he's going to make us do choreography and we're going to do all this silly stuff. And we're going to have to like answer the, <laughs> pretend we're answering the phone. And, yeah. and then it was like, no, we can't have that. We're just going to go shred. I know. And I totally understood. I was like, I don't even know what I was thinking, trying to dip my toe into that water. I was like, but you know, so there you go. That's yeah. Funny. I, I never heard that. Never heard that. But we'd make up for it later, Randy. Yeah, we did make oh, up yeah. for it later. That's for sure. I wonder how many other people's resumes were denied from that team. <laughs> I never knew there were applications. <laughs> I just showed up at the field. Oh, I'm JJ. Okay, what do we do? Skippy was the team captain, so all resumes had to go through the captain and funnel down. The way I listened to this podcast in the past was, I'm like, oh, I got the rest of that story, or I got a little different view of that story. And every time I listen, I'm like, chipper. You know, I think that was a couple of years off, or, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, yeah, very interesting listening to these stories. So you're telling us all these stories about traveling for Frisbee tournaments in the U.S., but I understand that you've done some international travel for Frisbee tournaments, too, including uh, traveling to Russia in 1997 after a WIFDIF event. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had done a little bit of international travel over the years. Crazy thing, and I went to a summer camp where we had hippies driving us around Europe in Volkswagen buses when I was 13 years old. And my parents would probably be in jail right now if they did it today. But hippies would drive the Volkswagen bus to the side of Athens and say, "Okay, kids, 12 years old, okay, uh, come back at 9 p.m. tonight. See you later, bye." And so I had some exposure as a 12-year-old. We went to all kinds of countries. It was crazy. Um, so I had a little exposure to international travel, and uh, I climbed a mountain in Nepal in '94 and the Himalayas and that type of thing, but not much beyond that. And then um, in 96, I said, gosh, it'll be fun to play Frisbee and travel when I retire. And I said, what if I can't play when I retire? <laughs> you know, what if I'm injured? What if I, whatever? And I said, you know what, I'm going to quit my job and take three years off and uh, play Frisbee and go places. So I took uh, three and a half years off until 2000, traveled around the world. For frisbee you know i went to uh europe and uh just some amazing stories there where i went to the czech republic and jammed with a guy barton he was the only jammer played ultimate with them and that was 97 as well uh one memorable trip uh 
you know, it was that Russia trip for sure. And it started with uh, Bill Suno, Sune, Sune Wenzel from Norway and I uh, agreeing to play it with Diff in Helsinki, Finland, overall tournament. I think that might have been my first overall tournament. Bill and I played DDC and I did all the events and Bill did too. And Sune, of course, was an overall god. Um, but we played uh, uh, threesomes there in Helsinki. And uh, we said, hey, you know, let's go to Estonia first, and then we'll take a ferry over to uh, Helsinki and do the tournament there. And Harvey Brandt, who was obviously a great ultimate player, joined us. So it was us four in Estonia. Bill, Sune, and I practiced our co-op routine there and worked on our co-op routine in a field there. One thing about Bill Wright was in high school, he had this high school teacher that knew the Russian language and had a class there, and Bill took Russian from him. So Bill really wanted to go to Russia. And I go, okay, let's do it. Let's do Helsinki and then go to Russia. We did that. Uh, but in Estonia, they were still speaking Russian. So we're on that field one day. We're like, oh, we need some food. We need to get some food. And there's a guy working there. And Bill started using his Russian to say, how do we get some food? You know, us three need some food. The guy's like, oh, okay, okay. And he's shaking his head. And Bill's trying to communicate with him again. And then Bill looks, a guy goes off and Bill goes, um, I think he might have misunderstood. I think he's getting us three women. <laughs> and it turned out, no, uh, uh, I think we did get some food. But it was the start of Bill getting in trouble with his Russian on this trip. But uh, but this was still in Estonia. So we take the ferry over to uh, Helsinki for the tournament. So the tournament wasn't that memorable from a freestyle perspective for us. Uh, I don't think I played that good. We didn't play that good. But uh, we got third. And Petri Isla, Visa from Finland and uh, their partner got second. They played really good. Petri's an amazing player, so was Visa. And winning was Chuck Richards, Tommy Leitner, and Dave Schiller playing to Frankenstein. So that was a good tournament, but nothing super memorable. We had a great time in Helsinki. That's remember Dave Schiller. We're playing 11 p.m. at night. He's playing music. We're sitting around, and it's 11 o'clock at night, and the sun's still up. I mean, it was a crazy experience seeing that. But but then Bill and I left, and we uh, took a train to Russia. It turned out Chuck went there. He flew there. Chuck took us to the the ballet there and uh, saw Gazelle, I believe it was. And uh, uh, we had some really good experiences there. And we jammed in the the square there, chased off by some ex-KGB agents. And there are a couple other good memories from that trip. One was... There weren't taxis. You would just flag down a passenger car and they'd pull over and pick you up and get in. And, you know, Bill would get in the front seat because he spoke Russian and I'd be in the back and we would never go where we wanted to go. And women <laughs> kept getting in the car, which was weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, finally, I, I got a picture where all of a sudden I've relegated Bill to the back seat, and I was much better using sign language and English than Bill's rudimentary Russian. Got in a lot less trouble. I got a picture of Bill. I can. It's like he's panicking in this place. And right behind him, I can see clearly it says no trespassing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one other interesting thing about that trip. So on the train ride from Helsinki to uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, Bill and I designed the WIFDIF website, the first WIFDIF website. And we got a paper out and we just started designing what should be on it and what should be there. And and I wish I had those notes, but that was in 97, the first uh, WIFDIF website that I created uh, very simply. That's a pretty interesting piece of trivia there. Created on a train ride to Russia. Obviously not on a laptop with a cellular service, but uh, it was certainly a uh, uh, paper design at that point. 
So you've been doing the world traveling there. You went to WIFDIF and Helsinki and Russia. So I certainly don't want to leave out probably the most important traveling internationally for you and significant for the sport is Paganello. So you were a big part of the origins of freestyle being at Paganello. So why don't you talk about that and uh, how that experience was for you? So in 97, uh, still later that year, I spent probably a month or so in Europe. One of the places I went was, uh, well, I certainly went to Budapest, but uh, I also went to the Czech Republic. And I go to the Czech Republic, and what I would do in those days, I think the web was fairly active there. I could get some contacts, and I sent a contact uh, uh, email to a contact in Czech Republic. And they said, yeah, we play ultimate. There's one guy who freestyles a little bit, wanted to come out. And so I get there, and this is the first continuing how great the Jamily is. I get to the hotel I had reserved, and there's a note there. Hey, Larry, welcome to the Czech Republic. No need to check in. You stay at our house, you know, that type of thing. And very welcoming. So uh, we jam there. We play ultimate. They go, hey, Larry, this weekend we're going to a uh, a beach ultimate tournament in Rostock, uh, Germany, on the uh, coast up there. You want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Let's go. And so we drive up there all night, all night, get there, get in the gym where everyone's sleeping, sleep in the gym, and uh, play beach ultimate. It was so fantastic. Such a great vibe. Such a, and I got on a Berlin team called Discipuli, and it's where I fell in love with Ultimate again. Oh my gosh, this is great. And we got third place in the tournament. We were so happy. And they go, Larry, Larry, you got to do a freestyle demo. You got to do a freestyle demo. I'm like, oh, this is Ultimate. Ultimate players don't want to see freestyle. I don't want to do that. No, 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 no. We, we, we want to see it. We want to see it. So I'm like, okay, okay. And uh, so there was this one guy from Poland. His name was Jeff Schwartz. He was a, a professor in uh, Poznan, I believe it's pronounced. Uh, I'm probably messing that up. But uh, he, he says, I can delay a little bit. I can throw you. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And I'm like, okay, let's go do it. And so they formed this huge circle on the soft sand on the beach, right? So soft sand on the beach, but a pretty good wind. But they made a circle around me. And I'm like, hey, guys, uh, you know, the wind's coming this way. Could you sort of make a horseshoe? And they all just open up like a give me a nice shot at the wind coming towards us, uh, Jeff and me. And I'm looking through CDs they have. I'm like, oh, I'm, uh, OK, here's a acoustic. Let's play it at Nirvana. Come as you are. Jeff could pretty much delay, bounce it on his head a couple of times and then do a the. But he could throw me good Z's and we went dropless. So I hit some big moves. The crowd was just erupting. They had never really seen freestyle like that. And they were really supportive of it. I'm like, oh my God, are these really ultimate players? You know, because they had that old shirt in New York City. Have you hung a freestyler lately put out by the ultimate team? So, you know, that was my upbringing. But uh, yeah, they really endorsed. I'm like, oh my God, they really like this. And so we're at the party afterwards. And this one woman on our ultimate team comes up to me, uh, Ghana, and she goes, Larry, if you had fun here, and I mean, it was the best, it was just an amazing time. She goes, you've got to go to Paganello. I'm like, oh, what's Paganello? Oh, it's this big beach ultimate tournament, uh, you know, the biggest ultimate tournament. You got to go there, you know, every Easter. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so I thought about it. And uh, then later that year, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, maybe we could get a freestyle tournament there. They're not doing a freestyle tournament there. Uh, but I was going to go play with, I think, the Czech team or the Slovakian team, one of the two uh, in Ultimate. And uh, so I emailed Jumpy. And this is sort of the seed of Paganello. Jumpy was the organizer for the early Paganellos. And I go, hey, Jumpy, if I could round up some Americans, could we do a freestyle tournament? And he's like, yeah, definitely. 
make it happen, do it. And so I reached out to some Americans and uh, that was the year I traveled a little bit and met, I think Bethany and Rodney were traveling around the world then. And I met them in Turkey that year. And we had some really good jams in Pekara, Turkey on the beach. And But uh, they agreed to go, Rodney and Bethany. Uh, from the U.S., I think Alan Kaplan also, well, I know Alan Kaplan agreed to go. And then it turned out there were some Italian and French teams. Uh, some of us remember the late Fernando uh, from France and his partner. Uh, from Italy, it was uh, Clay Calera. We called him Johnny Melfi and the late Morgan, who was a, a really go for it player. And that was the other team. And uh, Rodney played with Reto and Bethany played with Alan. And I played with Sune and Thomas from Finland. And uh, the very first routine was Alan Kaplan and uh, Bethany Sanchez playing to girls just want to have fun, if I remember it right. And that was the first Paganello routine, Bethany and uh, Alan Kaplan. Wow. And so did you know that Clay was living there in Rimini at the time or had did you had had you had any exposure to Clay over the years? Zero exposure. Zero exposure. Well, I don't really remember Clay at all until I got there. And uh, I don't think there was a lot of correspondence back and forth with Jumpy or anything like that. So I showed up sort of fresh and uh, we knew we were trying to collect the names of the players that could play. And But that's about it. Well, that must have blown your mind because Clay's game is super deep. And to like go, who is this? I mean, that just must have been incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, uh, recognizing that, you know, Fernando and his partner were a little raw at that time, but huge potential. But uh, watching Clay and Johnny Melfi and uh, Morgan, I'm like, whoa, that's the real deal. And then, you know, Bethy and Roddy and I had gone to Milano probably after. And then we hooked up with a lot of the Milano players, uh, Seba and uh, Enrico Basanti, I think, was there by then and a few other players. So we started getting exposed to a scene that was already happening, even if they weren't competing. Surprising to see someone of Clay's caliber. And he was definitely in a class by himself. That, that just had to be jaw-dropping because, you know, you've been involved with freestyle for whatever, three decades. And here's this guy who is going to eventually become a world champion. I mean, he has those kind of skills. And to like go, whoa. That's yeah, I cool. remember uh, Johnny Melfi, and I know that's not his real last name, but that's what he went by. He goes, Clay, Clay, fay la bill, fay la bill. I'm, and I know a little bit of Italian. I know that is do the bill, do the bill. For fay la bill, Clay, I think it was, does a spinning barrel catch. I'm like, whoa. That's the Fela bill. Now I understand. Yeah. So they would associate moves with people, right? Because they've seen a few videos now. And so they would say, do the bill, do the bill. <laughs> That's great. So that first tournament laid the foundation for the Paganellos to come. So do you think that that had an impact on the European scene and its growth? Uh, no question. I mean, it was uh, here, here's how I look at the European scene. In ten, in uh, '98 was the first Paganello. Ten years later, they asked me to write an article for the Talking Fish, and I talked about the growth of freestyle in Europe over those ten years. And the way I categorized it is, you know, I had the easy job. I just planted the seed. It was a great experience and the energy at Paganello. And I was playing ultimate at the time. So I would run. They're like, Larry, you're going to be up in freestyle on the semis. You got to get over there. I'm like, okay, you guys cover for me. And I run over and do freestyle. And it, I mean, the scene was amazing. So I truly believe that the seed was that moment of that 98 Paganello tournament when we had, I think, seven teams uh, co-ed uh, mixed with uh, open 
But I think what really, so that was a seed, but what really made it grow was uh, nikefreestyle.com. During prime time, they ran the Nike Freestyle commercial with uh, Dave Lewis and I think Murphy in that commercial during prime time. And then to take that even further, Sune and Tommy started uh, doing demos. So that is really what made it take off. Yeah, my, uh, that little 98, I think, was the seed. But Tommy and Sune, and more importantly, maybe the Nike, not more importantly, the Nike commercial made people aware of it. And then Tommy and Sune made, did a tour where people that were interested from that commercial could go and see freestyle firsthand from two amazing players. And then Tommy moving to Europe and Rome, that was the uh, coup de grace where it just allowed Tommy to be the driving force of going around, showing people how to run tournaments, running tournaments, getting things organized. That is what really made it take off. The combination of Tommy with the Nike commercial and uh, Tommy moving to Rome and then uh, the demos they did with Sune. And then I think the second stage or third stage of the growth of Europe was Paul Kenny putting just a huge effort into the European scene Because think about this, uh, I was FPA director, oh gosh, 99, 2000, maybe 2001. Paul Kenny took over as FPA director and I said, I'll be behind the scenes, help you out. I'll work on the website with Bob Bullware in the meantime. And, And then Paul put energy full speed ahead in Europe and Italy and Paganello. And that was the third phase, I think, that really fueled the growth to keep it sustained along with Tommy continuing to push from his side. So... I think those three events, the 98 Paganello, the Nike commercial with Tommy and Sune uh, doing demos across of Europe, Tommy living there, and then finally, Paul feeding the fire, so to speak. Yeah, and so Paul feeding the fire, was he really pushed to have FPA Worlds be in Italy? And it was the first one, I think, outside of the U.S. And I remember those conversations with him, you know, because my, and, and that sort of goes back to, 97, you know, in my MBA program, they talked about companies in the U.S. that are having trouble growing. Well, what do you do to grow? You got to go international. And the sport was declining in the 90s. There's the same old fart still playing, a few new players here and there, but it wasn't going anywhere and because there were so many options, ultimate, disc golf, other sports. I mean, there were so many options. It wasn't like the, you know, freshness of the 70s and 80s. But I remember talking to Paul. I remember being in my cube in Evergreen, Colorado, working and Paul, you know, we got to do this. And Paul's like, yeah, we got to do it. But there's so much pushback and people can't go there and da, da, da. But we both agreed, you know, it's the right thing. And then Paul as executive director. And, you know, there were people like, oh, I can't go. You can't do that. We're like, you know, there's small number of people showing up at the FBA Worlds less and less every year. We got to do something. And then Paul took that, brought 2000 FPA Worlds to Rimini two years in a row, 2003 and 2004. And then that became platform, <laughs> no pun intended, for people to that had seen exposure. Because I talked to Fabio and he's like, yeah, I saw that Nike commercial. I was there. Once I saw that Nike commercial, I went to that FPA Worlds in 2003, filmed everything. And then the next year he's making the finals with his uh, partner. You know, I think it was. Wow, that was so fascinating to hear from Larry about the seminal moments that really changed the direction of our sport. I, I just love reflecting on those moments, and I love hearing from people who were 
a part of those moments because they just they just mean so much to us and our sport. It's just really cool to hear it. Yeah, and it's so interesting because you know when that moment is happening, you don't you don't realize the impact that it's going to have on the trajectory of our sport. Like that Euro wave, you didn't realize those things were going to have that kind of momentum to push the growth the way it did. So it's just interesting to reflect back on that, like you say, uh, and take a look at those moments. And it makes me wonder, like what seminal moments have happened or are happening now that maybe we don't realize are having an impact. Yeah, it's totally, it's very true. I mean, with uh, COVID, the way that tournaments are happening is changing. I, I almost thought at the beginning, oh, no more tournaments, but suddenly Tining Room steps up and it's really engaging. It's really fun. And it's also, I feel like it reaches more people than uh, tournaments that are in person. So who knows, maybe that's something that's going to change the trajectory of the sport and bring more people into it. For sure, that online format certainly has more reach. And maybe World Urban Games is a seminal moment that we don't know until we see further down the road what kind of fruits it produces. And it just actually made me think about uh, FPA Worlds being in Medellin those years ago. And that certainly seems like it's produced uh, some fruits from that effort, you know, is what we're seeing going on in Medellin, because that is not trivial, the growth that's going on there. Yeah, right. It almost seems like... uh planting a world somewhere where there's frisbee but not a lot of freestyle is a way to suddenly spark the growth of freestyle i mean one of the things that i that i would love to figure out is instead of having hindsight on the seminal moments to actually be able to say i want to create one and this is what we got to do i don't know if that's really possible but it would sure be cool because it would uh, help us grow and uh, just improve the sport i guess it's almost like you have to plant seeds you plant a bunch of seeds And some of them grow. And then when you look back, you say, that one grew, and that was a moment. That one grew, and that was the moment. And the rest of them, you know, it was worth planting because you have to plant a bunch to get a few to grow. So the takeaway really here is that we have to become freestyle farmers. That's right. We should all become freestyle farmers. (laughs) (laughs) Strangely enough, that was the nickname of the guy who taught me to freestyle. He was called The Farmer by Skippy Jam. Well, he certainly did a good job of cultivating you and uh, your game. So thank you, Farmer. (laughs) Mike Esterbrook, thank you very much. (laughs) Wow. Hey, on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us... Or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, shooting the frisbees, and live streaming freestyle frisbee.